In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found no proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week on the show, we kick off our Tribeca immersive coverage. The festival starts next week on the 8th with a conversation with the director of This Is Not a Ceremony, a visually stunning and deeply resonant documentary that uses the 360 cinema format to stunning effect. But first, I've got your headlines. Always in Motion is a long time ago in Anaheim. That's how that goes, right? At Star Wars Celebration last week, the Disney Parks announced that they were adding stars of the Disney Plus series Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian to the streets of Black Spire Outpost this year, upending the three-year run of a hermetically sealed immersive story environment. As with anything Star Wars, this has been a divisive move and a nail in the coffin for those who dreamed that the original plans for original characters at Black Spire Outpost might one day be realized. Right now, this change is only happening in Disneyland, with the Walt Disney World version of Batu being preserved, perhaps to keep the suspension of disbelief up for the premium-priced Galactic Star Cruiser, or perhaps it is just a matter of time. Always in motion is the future. That's the quote, and that's the reality. We'll have links in the show notes about what could have been for BSO, thanks to a recent Twitter thread from Galaxy's Edge fan and datapad builder ringleader Nick Tierce. So that was kind of the bummer. Uh, I, I know I know at least one of you is elated it's that way, and, you know, we'll agree to disagree. Ricky. Uh <laughs> But now for some good news we can all agree on. Particle Inc. Speed of Dark, that show we keep raving about, has been extended in Las Vegas through Labor Day. The original run was planned through mid-July, so that gives you even more chances to make your way to see the show that we have dubbed Unmissable. It really is. It's just an incredible piece of work, and you should go check it out, and you don't have to race to do it quite yet if you don't want to get out there in june you got july you got august uh and if it keeps on being a success you might have even more time but uh you need to make it a success first so uh don't delay help everybody else out all right one more thing before we get into this week's episode indeed this is a a a single segment episode as we come back from the extended holiday weekend uh there'll be some multi-segment ones coming up soon but uh wanted to announce we've got some office hours coming up these are going to be virtual office hours they're happening on the second and fourth monday of this month uh, they're going to be in our Discord. Uh, both of these will be open to all. We're going to start having uh, one of these a month be for uh, backers only. But we're going to kick it off on the 13th at 4 p.m. in the Discord and with an eye towards coming back on the 27th, maybe at the same time uh, in the Discord or or maybe in our Gather. We've got a Gather. Uh, but the first one's going to happen in the Discord on the 13th. And... Um, 
yeah, uh, there'll be uh, no no real topic. This is just a chance for me to sort of corral the uh, requests that folks have for like, hey, can we pick your brain, et cetera, et cetera. And also for me to pick your brain. I want to know how things are going out there in the grand immersive land. So uh, check out the NoPro Discord and those office hours are going to get posted uh, quite soon right in there. Uh, we will be doing this in the uh, NoPro Cafe, so we won't be using the uh, main stage style. This is going to be a lot more uh, informal than the book club events. Uh, we're also getting some AMAs planned again. Keep an eye out for those. Hope to have some announcements uh, in that direction on next week's show. And now, without further ado, let's get into this week's interview. The 360 documentary This Is Not a Ceremony had its debut this year at the Sundance Film Festival. It is currently making the festival circuit and will be playing as part of Tribeca Immersive. Uh, this is a visually spectacular and very moving doc, uh, and we are honored to have the filmmaker with us today. That is Awapsi Bita, also known as Colin Van Loon. Colin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Okay. Hello. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah. This is not a ceremony focuses on the stories of two men, Adam North Pagan and Brian Sinclair, both of whom to really, to put it far too mildly were failed monstrously by government institutions in Canada. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the details to you or to those who see the story. Uh, how long have these two particular stories been with you? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, the the sort of genesis or inspiration point for the film was really the story of Brian Sinclair. Um, so that happened, you know, more than uh, 11 years ago in, in Canada, um, where, you know, Brian was waiting at the hospital and um, after 34 hours of waiting for care, he you know, wasn't able to see a, a doctor uh, because nobody attended to him and, and he passed away in the hospital. So I remember when that happened, I felt very, um, I don't know what the feeling is. You sort of feel uh, uh, dumbfounded in the sense that how can something like this happen? But as indigenous people in Canada, where we know these types of things happen, um, so, you know, when there was an opportunity to develop this VR piece, I, I always thought that was a important story to tell. And Adam North Pagan is a family member. Um, so, you know, I, I've known his story, but it was through the sort of development and writing of this project that um, he uh, shared more of his story with me. And... Uh, and, you know, that came into the film uh, just because of his willingness to tell that and advocacy. Um, but in, in terms of the nuts and bolts of making the film, we we roughly uh, developed and uh, wrote and went into production over kind of a four-year time period. 
the film does this really interesting thing of 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 mixing some really spectacular visuals and and, and there's a there's a frame of you know two young men who are taking us through the stories um how did you come up with the the the, lang- the visual language to frame th- the documentary stories because th- this could have been a, a talking head doc uh but you're you're deploying all these different techniques to create something that i, I haven't really seen anyone do before in terms of the kind of theory or um framework that I had laid out at the beginning of this project was really built on this idea that I I just really felt that um, people could, it would be hard for people to be this terrible, this awful, this judgmental um, to people if they really knew them. Mm. And I thought about all of um all of my family members, um, all of the wonderful indigenous people that I know from you know many different nations, and I and and so I developed this this theory, and you know really the the groundwork of why we told these stories in um, VR and three sixty video was this idea that you know we could bring audiences closer to the people so that they could better understand the stories. What is, what is having, cause you use kind of a fairly standard in some sense, you know, documentary technique of a, a recreation. So there are, there are times we go recreation, but those recreations are in 360 uh, as opposed to the, you know, the environment where we're being told the story. Uh, and and where we're we're seeing uh, the subjects uh, share elements of the story, but then it then things kind of pull away and into kind of both a, a you know fully staged recreation of key moments, but that still has sort of a surreality to it. There are still kind of artifacts of of the the digital process and, and sort of a special effects to, to make it seem a little bit surreal. What is working? with the recreations in those 360 format, uh, what does that afford you that uh, a more standard film technique wouldn't give you? Yeah, I think really the, the one of the most powerful elements of 360 video or, or VR is this power of presence. And, you know, I think... So I watch many videos of, of Brian Sinclair um, at the hospital, the, the 2D um, security camera footage that was played on the news. And what I realized is that it it always sort of feels at arm's length. But just as when you're standing somewhere, you have this kind of, this view that gives you sort of, depth and proximity uh i i thought that was really powerful you know mm-hmm. and and in order to tell his story i i thought you know this is um such a, a great opportunity for people to understand how close 
the medical staff was, how close he was to the front desk, um, how close he was to care, and yet he did he didn't receive it. So you know, hearing that this man is in the hospital, or seeing these security tapes, it just it's easy to it's easy to kind of summarize it or to to put off the fact that the, like this this man was was literally you know two feet away from a doctor um, for thirty four hours he would have he would have needed a treatment that would would have taken approximately half an hour and that and that would have saved his life but unfortunately he didn't receive that care he got an infection and um, he passed away you know two feet from the people that were supposed to save him when you you see things in situ the sheer horror of it like the 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 way that we you know these institutions have been built and they've been funded and and staffed and they're ostensibly to care for all of us and yet they've been built and staffed and funded in such a way that people can be invisible that people and and it seems impossible when you're seeing it in space that someone could miss that going on it just it just it's like looking looking into the eye of badness it just it just seems so unreal and yet there it is this happens yeah yeah like um I, I missed a little bit of the first part of what you said, but I, I think I understand the point. And, and, you know, that is really the case in both cases. Like um, the distance, it's just how could anybody think this was a good idea? Uh, you know, um, with Adam's story, he's taken out of an abusive home and he, he's walked a few feet to the son's house and, and, and put into another abusive uh, scenario or something that's potentially more abusive and and um you know there there was a social worker and and there were um, people whose job it was to um, care for children and and they thought that this was this was a good idea that this was acceptable that moment when you see the the young actor playing adam come out of the one home and he he makes his way to the car and then the worker keeps on going on like it's such a it's such a gut punch and it's all the worse knowing that you're you're hearing adam himself tell you you're 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 sort of watching his memory and to just know that this is not <laughs> this is surely not an isolated story and that we've allowed this kind of thing to continue for forever is, I don't know. I'm I'm down here in the States right now and we're watching, you know, the U S kind of fall apart uh, and maybe deservedly so. And to watch this piece in the context of, of, of what's happening in the States right now of knowing how, you know, the States and Canada are linked and how, the treatment of both of these governments of first nations people has been abhorrent and, and that it, and that it's these, these tiny 
tiny is the wrong word, but, but it's in these details, it's in these individual stories and it all adds up. And each individual story is monstrous enough in of itself to, 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 to think that any one of these stories could be allowed to play out, let alone it at scale. Um, it just, I wish I could say it seems impossible, but it's, it's, it's very, very possible. Um, I know the, the hope is, I, I mean, really the hope with the kind of witnessing thing is that, I mean, you know, I am sometimes an optimist and sometimes I'm a, a pessimist, but uh, I think, you know, in some way, optimistically hope that people will take this responsibility as a witness, you know, very seriously and diligently. They will take this information that they have seen and heard and, and you know, uh, put it forward to their friends and neighbors and colleagues in the in the hope that there's some learning there i've seen an interview where you talked about um sort of the the danger of vr and the sort of empathy vr theory or vibe um and 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 is there a concern here for you that you know people will see this this kind of talks to the witnessing question right that people will see this feel like, oh, I, oh, that's awful. That isn't that terrible. And then just kind of move on that, that, that VR might for all of its ability to put you, give you a sense of presence and put you in the moment that it, it, it might make you think that the box has been checked, that you've, you've done your work now that you've seen it. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a definite possibility. I, I, I mean, this piece was designed in a way as a, a reaction to um, you know many things that that I've watched in terms of empathy VR, mm. uh, and that's why that element was added. You, the, the tradition of witnessing is is very much a Blackfoot tradition. Um, you know, uh, Lillian is new Neutronith. Uh, it's a Neutronith tradition. It, it it's a tradition that um, exists you know in, in slightly different forms in, in many different indigenous nations, you're a community witness, you have a responsibility to the community. Um, so I, I, I mean, I hope that people will take heed of that, but there is a, certainly a, a danger with empathy VR that people can take off the headset, go home and forget about it. But I think it, yeah. you know, that doesn't really, uh, you know, that's a possibility with, with any type of media. But um, that that doesn't mean that maybe it's not worth trying or, or finding new ways to innovate the form. Yeah, I mean, if you if you hit the nail on the head with the fact that like a, a traditional like a flat dock, people can do the same thing, and so one of the things about any sort of mass media is you're kind of playing the numbers and you're hoping that you get a few, at least a few people for whom it resonates more than just a, Oh, I've seen it and I'm done, but that there's actually some change that takes place in, in terms of how people, people's not only their perspectives, but then that they actually are, are moved to action to, to address, you know, the root causes of, of what they're seeing in front of them. Um, yeah. And some things the, in the, in the past have been very successful at that. You know, so I'm not jaded enough yeah. to, to say uh, we can't do it. 
you make an interesting choice artistically the the viewers like in the center of a fire um and and i'm wondering if you could talk to me about that because i thought that was this like really fascinating you know 360 video you got to be anchored to something uh you know back in the old days at the beginning it would just be like you'd look down you'd see like the logo of whatever app you were using (laughs) yeah yeah. uh and and here like you know i there's a bit of the implication that we're burning there's a little bit of implication that we've been pulled here by the fire like what's yeah talk to me about that choice I'm fascinated by it. I would I would love to take credit for that choice, um, but it's really a, a happy accident in in a sort of way, um, you know, just based on uh, Blackfoot architecture because um, most of the the you know the viewer might not realize until the end, but the the space is, is um, modeled after a. A Blackfoot arbor is uh, it's actually modeled after um, the arbor in in Bikani First Nation or Brockett, Alberta, where my family is from. I'm from, and um, you know, just based on uh, Blackfoot architecture, where the fire should be uh, is in in the center. So uh, we had to put the the fire there, and in the act of doing. Uh, you know, uh, I realized that, and our team realized that, you know, the, the metaphorical uh, nature of putting somebody over top of the fire. Yeah, it, it aligns, it, it aligns very well. Like there's something about, I don't know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to give anyone any interpretations one way or another, but the, it's, it's it's a striking moment and it also becomes the the filter through which the rest of the action is viewed and I don't know, it's almost like speaks beyond words um so i mean always our our, sort of our uh you know our kind of you know when you're making a film as you make the film a lot of people will give you the question of who's your audience um mm. You know, my contention was always that this film can be made for two audiences, one being um, indigenous people so that they can see the strength and resilience of Adam and Robert. Um, but also, you know, this is, is for settlers who, you know, should should know these things, who should kind of uh, really feel the, the, the results of, of this system that um, settlers have, have benefited off of for, you know, since contact. Yeah. How you've been at Sundance so far and now headed to Tribeca um, and more of the circuit after that, how's the reception been so far? Uh, how how are the folks uh, at these festivals, you know, reacting to the piece, and are you seeing any any ripples? Yeah, there was some really nice, you know, there's some nice coverage. You know, I think um, uh, Vox wrote a really nice article. Um, the people at Sundance were were um, very complimentary. Um, 
you know, give me some interesting perspectives on, on their experience of the piece. Um, and I was super thrilled to, to play it at Sundance. I, I think what they did this year was really amazing. Um, I think that, mm. you know, Chari and the team over there really did such an amazing job of creating this hybrid experience of, of a festival because Sundance uh, became an online um, festival, you know, two to three weeks before the actual event where it had been scheduled as a sort of hybrid initially. Um, but, you know, it, it, it really occurs to me that it's kind of this uh, closed container in terms of VR or, or mm. you know, watching this piece. Um, you know, you would need a Oculus headset, so you would have to own a, a Quest 2 in order to um, watch the film. So, you know, it really, it, it kind of really limited the audience in that way. I'm excited to go to Tribeca um, because there will be, you know, people who, who may come off the street or people who may be interested in immersive technology um, who want to come and see the film and, you know, they'll have an opportunity to, to walk off the street or, or have purchased a ticket before and come watch the film. So I'm excited to to see uh, what these people think and and feel about the piece. Yeah, the the festival circuit's really awesome for for getting this type of work out to folks who like don't have the kid at home, and it's it, it that's in fact you know without without the film festival circuit, I don't think we'd have any of the the VR stuff happening. We know that for a fact. It's you know the the Oculus itself can trace itself back to one of the Sundances, and and then you know some of the reactions. I remember when um, you know, Nani De La Pena was taking Hunger in Los Angeles around. At first, it was Sundance, and then it also appeared at Tribeca, and seeing stories about you know Robert De Niro, you know the the the, the Godfather of Tribeca, like checking out the piece and coming out, you know, emotionally moved, and that's what sort of started all of this this ripple that's that's led to to these years in this moment. Um, yeah, not not even Penny was really a, a real pioneer. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so what's you've got? You're you're at Tribeca. There's going to be some more uh, festival runs, and then ultimately uh, this will for those who who are privileged enough to have a, a quest to this is going to come home to those folks at some point. Yeah, so I think you know the kind of um, plan so far is. Uh, you know, there's a festival run. There's um, something called the Canadian Tour, which um, I, I think they're going to announce sometime soon during the festival, maybe. But um, after that, in Canada, there the NFB has educational programs, so you know it, it may um, make some rounds in those. At a certain point, it it will go on to um, the quest store i think that um i think that people would also like to um you know eventually publish as a a youtube 360 but i really consider that you know not the best way to see the piece just because again it, it's like watching flat video in a certain way yeah um, 
you can never get this kind of sense of space and proximity. You know, even the 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 buffalo. I'm so proud of um, the work that James Monkman did on a lot of the the graphic elements, but um, the buffalo is is so sensational and and um, it has such a a sense of size and scale when you're in the headset. Um, you know, it's really part of the power of the buffalo. Oh yeah, that that moment and that it, that you kick it off, you know, it it really sort of announces that now is the time to like pay attention and, and look in a different way, um, and that the buffalo is such a it, it's 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 like a preternatural force in this piece, just not only like visually impressive, but there's something spatially about it. It really. Like I said, this this doesn't feel like I've watched a lot of 360 docs, and some of them are spectacular. And and this just this feels like a piece that is, you know, leveraging the power of storytelling, leveraging the power of of traditional video and and the 360 video. And then there's just there's there's a you know a je ne sais quoi. There's just something else like running through the line, and, and I think it's sort of personified by that buffalo um, i'm always encouraging filmmakers to i think that you know i, I know that there's a real um, you know people are some somewhat skeptical but i'm always encouraging filmmakers to you know experiment with with 360 video i think it's, it's just such a, a new and powerful um tool i understand that people um may not uh, want to because they, they you know there's there's such a a learning curve in terms of technology in some ways it's, yeah. it's more expensive to create set pieces um but i you know i i definitely think the benefits outweigh the costs well and the, it brings it brings in the, the the spatial element which starts to like take back elements of theater elements of storytelling elements of performance that are that are lost in flat filmmaking right you know like those those have to get squeezed out of the frame just because of the way the technology works and mm -hmm. you know there was that craze you know 20 years ago or so about uh, you know 3d films and like a few 3d a few filmmakers got it and knew how to use that properly but most everyone just you know did it in post and was like see it's just it's, it's popping out of the screen and it's like no you don't understand this is about space this is about oh my god there was so many so many bad movies where like a uh, actor was like drinking a coffee cup and like showing oh, yeah. it to you <laughs> like and um yeah I know the bias. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. It was always like you know, like oh, watch this thing pop off the screen, and it's like no, it's not about it popping off the screen. It's about the depth. It's about it's about how the the people are in relation to each other, and yeah. like it, it's it's really and and I, I I've always thought like well, of course, you know, like most filmmakers, they're they're trained to think about how to move, you know, how to use the canvas of a screen, and there's all sorts of tricks to to do to to create sense of depth and, and parallax motion. And, and there's, there's a whole art form to that. And then to add, you know, the Z axis and just think like, Oh yeah, simple. It's just, it's just depth. There's no, it's no big deal, you know, fails to fails to account for 
the extra way in which it's from the viewer to what's being viewed and from what's being viewed on, on one plane to what's being viewed on another and how all of those are interacting with each other. And, and it's rare even in 360, most 360 film I see doesn't even play around with the depth that much. It, it often feels like someone just puts the 360 camera down and like their job is done. Um, and so when, when I'm seeing 360 film that manages to treat the space as a volume, to think about how to tell the story in space, it really starts to show off what, what the, what the power of the medium is because we, despite the internet having sort of flattened our lives in so many ways, we do live in space. We do relate to each other in space and the, the full weight of a moment like the footage with Brian is only understandable if you're viewing it in space. Uh, yeah, totally. So, I mean, you know, what you said about the theater really rings a bell. You know, I, I um, was watching a lot of really early um, 360 pieces. I mean, you see it a lot in dance, dance films. You know, there's a, mm. there's a, this, this kind of connection and, kinship to either the, the tradition of the stage or um, you know being able to see somebody move in space in a in a full shot but still have that that feeling of um, having a, a proximity to them like like uh, you know I mean maybe uh, usually right a filmmaker um, in 2d will, will show somebody in a full to establish and then cut into uh, a, a tighter shot so that we can yeah. kind of, um, you know, realize something about the character, see, see their face better, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, that's the beautiful thing. We can do that in, in you know, one shot in, in 360. Um, and, you know, instead of moving the camera, you can move your, your cast. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that, that moving of the cast creates, creates new, new dynamics of, of, of meaning, right. You know, like yeah. how close are two people, which directions are they moving? If you've got multiple people, you know, like the, 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 the placement of everyone and you start to sort of understand, you start to understand everyone's individual perspective a little bit more because you can see what they're, you can see what they're seeing. You know, yeah. you can, you can make the intuit, you can make the imaginal leap and be like, oh, oh like if I was, you know, the, the, I, I kept on in, in, in the Brian sequence, I kept on, uh, focusing on the, towards the end. There's a, there's a woman in the background who's like realizing what's going on and she's just sitting in one of the waiting room chairs. Um, oh, and I yeah. kept being, yeah. And I, and I kept on being drawn to her because like, she's witnessing this moment. She has no agency in the scene, but, but she's coming to the realization of, of, of what's happened and that that brought a weight to that moment um that you know to go into the filmmaking technique right you know the crowd reaction shot right you know like mm -hmm. how how is someone reacting that tells us what we're in some ways it tells us what we're supposed to feel but it opens up the possibility and to just to watch watch the 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 realization of of, of what's happened in this moment in time kind of kind of flow from person to person to person in the space 
um, that's something that, you know, a, a traditional film, you'd be cutting, 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 you know, and sort of didn'actically telling us but here it's for us to discover and, yeah, and there's something absolutely. about that yeah big fan of participatory cinema um and yeah. you know i think that yeah. this is you know 360 video really is um really is that you know the the audience has agency in a way that they they have never had before so i think you know there's there's something to be said about that um I think that's and, one of the things that freaks out filmmakers about about three you know three sixty as well. You know, like that, yeah. I'm losing control of the story. I'm losing control of the perspective. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you know, the the rules of the rules and grammar of, of cinema still apply. You know. Yeah. Uh, sound, is, you know, people are really sharp in in the sense that people um, gravitate to this idea right away. You know. Uh, you have this this great opportunity with spatial audio to get people to look in a place, but you know, uh, if we're shooting a, if go, to go back to two um, D video, if, if we're shooting a wide, where do people look? They look at movement. Um, they look at very bright colors, like red is a very bright color. Um, you know, there's there's all of these uh, rules that we would apply in the edit of a traditional film. And, and I think many of these still apply in um, 360 video or VR. Yeah. It's, it's more about like deploying them in the space, right? Like yeah. really early on, I realized that the key was going to be managing the audience's attention, right? Like if you can't, if you can't cut and we found out pretty quickly, you can cut, but if you want to cut less in 360, which definitely helps, you know, people's motion sickness and just kind of tracking what's going on, then it's really about how are we driving people's attention or even how many layers of attention are, are, are we, are we playing with? And, and, and there's a, there's a shift there about, you know, it's not just about individuals, but it's about, the spaces they live in and the systems in which they exist, like from sort of a, a film critique or from a, from a, you know, the artistic toolbox. That's something I find really interesting about, about. Yeah. And theater films forever as you know, as you mentioned, theater, theater has been doing this well for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Colin, I know you've got, you've got the, the festival coming up and everything. So I don't want to steal too much more of your time, but, but thank you so much for, for yeah, I'm actually producing a documentary about. today, actually. Um, so there's, okay, well, I'll there's let you little ways away. Yeah. All right, I'll let you get back to work. Uh, but thank you so much. And uh, for those who have access at Tribeca, uh, go check out This Is Not a Ceremony. And if you don't, keep an eye on the festival circuit. And I encourage everyone to take your first opportunity to check this out. Thanks. <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't let you know that Colin will be part of the Tribeca Immersive Panel Extended Reality as a Modern Identity Toolkit, 
which will take place on June 12th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time at the Spring Studios AT&T Spotlight Lounge as part of the festival. This is an in-person event, so that one goes out to the Tribeca Immersive attendees and is part of a greater lineup of talks at the festival which cover immersive, including appearances by Nani de la Pena and the team behind Darkfield and more. Speaking of... Uh, Wait, that's not a transition. Anyway, No Bro is brought to you by the generous support of our Patreon backers. I'm leaving it in. I was trying to do a segue. I didn't manage to do it. Uh, Patreon.com slash No Presidium. Our latest backer is Alexander K. Why any of you back me? I, I don't know. Uh, I really, sometimes I just don't know. Anyway, enough of that uh, imposter syndrome bunk. We're currently standing at 362 backers, thanks to the beginning of the month churn. You, you, last time it was like 370 and down and up, and it's just the way it goes, machine charging credit card things. Thank you to Alexander for being our latest, uh, and we're at uh, 2370 a month. So our next goal is 375 backers. So right now we're looking for 13 new backers, at the $5 or more level to keep us on track, uh, we remain completely community funded and we're so close to being halfway to our self-sustaining uh, goal, uh, a self-sustaining goal, meaning like, you know, uh, making a reasonable amount of money for, for one person to do this job. And then hopefully beyond that, we can start making some more. All right. The sustaining backers of No Presidium are Ari Hurstand, Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Richard Ayers, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much for keeping a roof over my head. Um, again, Short week this week, uh, we're spinning up the Tribeca immersive coverage. We've got a few uh, interview requests out. We've also got, um, we're, we're headed towards episode 350. We're going to bring the team together. You know, we like to celebrate uh, the the big milestone anniversaries. 350 is a pretty big one. Uh, also, in the not too distant future, we're going to do a retrospective about The Nest with the creators of The Nest, because that show, that beloved the award-winning show is uh, wrapping up here in LA. If uh, if you haven't caught the nest yet and you are in Los Angeles, there are some tickets still available. Don't know why you haven't. Please go do that. Uh, but we'll be talking with uh, Jared and Jeff soon enough on the show again. And uh, there's some other fun stuff kicking off. Um, those of you in San Francisco, you might know that uh, Hunt a Killer the 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 um escape game in a box like mystery you know subscription folks uh, they're doing a live murder scene uh event uh, obviously there's going to be major escape room vibes uh i think our team's going to get a chance to check it out you should definitely go check it out and uh you know we're talking to them about being on the show um, there's going to be some fun announcements this month about uh what's going on at the denver immersive gathering this november We've got uh, the first of our, our uh, speakers uh, ready to be announced. And that goes along with, of course, uh, tickets to Theater of the Mind, access to Meow Wolf Convergence Station. It's going to be a really fun weekend there. And uh, we're working on uh, the, the team behind the dig is, is working on making it uh, something really, really special. And unlike any other event uh, that's uh, taken place uh, in our um, sort of immersive creative community. So... A new, a new format. I'm digging it. Um, all right. 
that's enough for now. Um, I'm still kind of shaking the cobwebs off and coming back to normal. Um, I was very grateful to have the bye week last week, uh, since, uh, it's just been May was May was a lot rougher than I thought it was going to be. Uh, looking forward to checking out some stuff at the Hollywood fringe that's coming up here. Uh, the previews for that start tomorrow. So hopefully we'll be able to report back. Uh, there's not, there's not a huge number of shows, but there's, there's a few that are, there's kind of raising their hands right now, uh, looking for coverage. And we're going to send, uh, both myself and Kevin out to check out a few things. And yeah, uh, the thing I've noticed the most right now is not a lot of online at home work happening. Uh, although there are a few pieces that, uh, are, are kind of coming back. Um, uh, uh, we will meet in the air. We should meet in the air. Sorry, Steffi. Uh, that's, that's coming back. Uh, that's going to go in this week's newsletter, which drops uh, later today. Uh, and of course, uh, Shivana Lachlan is coming up on her hundredth episode of please don't touch the artist. Uh, that's coming up in just a, a few weeks. So there's still, there's still remote work going on. Uh, just hasn't been as much of it, uh, as really things just start popping off. You got stranger things happening in New York and now it's opening up in San Francisco. You've got, of course, particle link in Vegas. You have, uh, uh forest for the trees here in LA. Um, it's humming. It's uh, kind of humming right now. It's also, uh, really scary because, uh, COVID is humming, really humming right now. And, um, uh, I want to give a big uh, shout out proper to the folks who organized uh, Star Wars Celebration last week. That was the the Star Wars con that I went to, uh, where I got to check out the Mandalorian experience. Wrote that up on the um, review rundown this week. Uh, Myco too uh, was part of the design team on that and did a did a bang up job there. But I wanted to to give a shout out to the the team running the con itself. Because uh, particularly on uh, Saturday, it was a little, a little, little looser when I was there on Thursday. But on Saturday, they did a really good job of trying to impress upon everybody the importance of wearing masks indoors. Um, look, we all like to pretend um, that uh, things are back to normal. The the numbers reflect that they're not. I know that in the Bay Area, mask mandates are coming back. I know in a lot of states, people are over it. Uh, they don't want to go back to mask mandates. But but here's here's the truth of it. Uh, the folks I know who who went masked and were were kind of hardcore about it, uh, none of us seem to be testing positive for COVID after celebration. Uh, and the team working celebration did everything they could to impress upon folks the importance of wearing those masks when they were indoors. Uh, yes, there were people who are testing positive. Yes, there are people who are getting sick. And inevitably, that means the chain continues. And at the end of that chain, something horrible happens to somebody. Um, so do your part. Break the chain. Keep those masks on when you're inside. If you're running a show, uh, just start leaning towards it. It just makes the most sense. And uh, I don't I don't love wearing it. <laughs> I don't. I got rashes on my face sometimes from it. Uh, but uh, this week, uh, I'm not giving COVID to anybody. So, you know. And I'm not, I don't have it. I, I, I was worried. I had it for a second. I worried that the, the, the mask failed, uh, but, uh, took a PCR test. Turns out it wasn't, it's was just some other random cold. So there you go. All right. Enough of that. Um, it's just, it's always with us. Okay. Gotta be mindful. Okay. 
uh let's do the credits here a bunch of you turned out already but uh that's that's the way it is associate producer of this podcast uh helping me stay sane is parker sella a music for no percentage is by chris porter of the speakeasy society special thanks to shivana lachlan for voicing our intro and uh everything that is uh terrible about this is my fault i'm noah nelson and until next time i will see you at the show <laughs>